0: Good evening, everybody, and welcome to episode 67 of Across the Pond. It is a very exciting episode for one reason. My good old friend, my co-host, Mr. Chad Sturley himself, turned another year older today. So a huge, huge Across the Pond happy birthday to Chad. How are you doing, buddy?
1: How's it going? Yeah, I'm doing. I'm doing decent. Thank you so much for that wonderful, warm welcome. It's such a strange feeling that one more year around the planet... Um, it really it really does feel strange especially when you're in lockdown it's, it's my first birthday in lockdown to be honest and hopefully my last um, but it is one of those days where you hear from a lot more people than you do uh, you know frequently. Uh, and it's it's really quite nice. I mean, I must be honest, every single person who has sent me a message, I, I know I haven't got through all of them just yet, but I'm actually <laughs> going to, I'm screenshotting every single one this year and I'm popping it into my journal uh, just to look back on in those moments where you're feeling a little bit low or you're feeling, you know, whatever the case is that just remind you to remind yourself that, you know, you've got a whole bunch of people out there who do love you, uh, which is really quite cool. So thanks for that nice uh, warm wishes. Thanks, Barry.
0: Of course. I think it's such a cool idea. It kind of reminds me, I was listening to a podcast the other day of some business, I can't remember who they were, but they had this idea of when they got a customer review that was really good, they had what's called the love folder on their share drive and mm-hmm. they would just save that review into that love folder and whenever they're feeling down, whenever they're feeling a bit like, mm-hmm. oh, what are we doing? Whenever the things were getting on top of them, you can just open up the little love folder and just like read through some of the stuff and remind yourself of of like some of your worth and some of your why you make people's lives better. So I think it's a cool idea to put in the journal. It's really really good, especially for those cold winter nights. Eventually, Chad.
1: Exactly, and that, I mean, I guess that's the the great thing about having a digital journal is you can add all little bits and pieces. Um, so yeah, that's great, and and your kind of similar business folder that that's really cool. I must just before we start recording, I must be completely honest. I've been feeling a bit dizzy today. I woke up like as soon as I got out of bed, um I've been having this kind of just dizziness whenever I move my head. So, if I sound a little bit strange or if I don't make sense, uh I'm 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 trying to keep uh <laughs> keep in this dimension, but uh yeah, just something to note. So, yeah. Barry, loads to talk about. Shall we get into it? Let's get into it, Chad. The week that was. Loads to talk about this week. Um, we've put we've put it all down on these uh, on our notes again, and we and, and we'll get there. I wanted to just start off uh, with this very first one, which for me I don't want to spend super long talking about Barry. Uh, but how strange would it be if we got over COVID? assuming vaccine rollouts all happen, assuming uh, the world returns to some level of normal. And then this uh, detection from, from Russia of the H5N8 <laughs> bird flu in humans. Uh, the first time this particular bird flu has been detected in humans ever. Just imagine we, uh, we go from that to this.
0: If that's the case, Chad, then we are definitely living in some sort of simulation because that is just something you cannot script, and I, I, it would be horrible if that was the case. It really would be horrible. So I'm really hoping that's not the case. Like we, we're we're really done with one pandemic at that stage, and we 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 barely passed it at the at the moment, and I don't know if I can handle more of this chat. Please, can we have some respite, please? <laughs>
1: I would hope so too. Uh, definitely would. For those of you who are who are hanging out with us live, thank you so much for the birthday wishes. We've got uh, Robin saying happy birthday and rashiel as well. Uh, really appreciate it, guys. Thank you very much. We we like our live family, so definitely you know, we want to <laughs> we appreciate you guys being here. Um, okay, let's move on then, Barry. Hopefully that that that's not the case. But let's then move on to what we are currently dealing with, which is COVID nineteen. We're still busy fighting our way through it. This week, and I have been alluding to in the last couple of episodes, uh, to Boris, you know, getting up on his podium and uh, he was in quite a comical mood this time. I mean, I know he normally is pretty you know pretty pretty comical and he uh, he's quite sarcastic with a few things but in parliament uh quite a few times he he took he took a, he, he he took a, he had a bit of a laugh um so anyway it was his roadmap uh that he was setting out for for the easing of this lockdown that we've been in it feels like ages it feels like that is just what life is these days uh, but yes <laughs> there is a way out and it's called boris's roadmap so just want to start off by by talking about the plan in terms of getting the vaccinations through all the different age bands. We spoke about that last week. Uh, Quite important just to touch on the fact that they want to get the first dose to every adult by the end of July, which I think is is pretty staggering. Uh, The fact that I'll be offered a dose by the end of July by potentially before we even allow to travel. I mean, we don't know when that's going to happen. Uh, But potentially before we're able to travel we've all been offered a vaccine and when you talk about vaccine passports and all of that kind of stuff uh, it is good news for everyone who is keen to to get a vaccine so i think that's a great uh, a great place to start secondly he, he mentioned you know in this easing this time we're not going to go for the tiered approach or looking at the regions <laughs> like we no did. Tears tears. No tiers for tiers? No tiers for tiers. There's certainly not different tiers for tiers in, in different parts of the country. So any easing will happen throughout England. Um, and then, of course, the other you know, devolved administrations, Scotland and Ireland, get to make their own calls in Wales as well. Um, but basically, there, there's going to be five weeks between each of these steps. Which is feels to me pretty slow, I mean we know that there's there's that natural lag of of a measure and people getting infected you know the 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 lag of it turning up to people rocking up at hospital doors we we know about that, but five weeks does feel extra cautious and extra prudent to me. Um, so yeah, what, what we do have is we have, as we said, this roadmap which is staggered sort of five weeks apart at each step. So the first step is is essentially schools. Like we said, it was his main focus to get pupils back to school. So eighth of March, that's all happening, um, sort of roughly two weeks away, and all of the after-school extramurals and all that kind of stuff uh, is included, which I think is really good news for for people at school. Another announcement, which I felt like was it was quite a, a non a non-event really um, is the fact that one person can meet outside. Um, so based on the current <laughs> restrictions and the restriction th- throughout lockdown, you're allowed to exercise with one person who doesn't live with you outside anyway. And I mean, going for a walk classifies to me as exercise in any case. So to announce this as, wow, this is a- another measure that's coming in two weeks time. Felt, felt like a bit of a, a non-event, but but maybe, maybe I'm, I'm being too harsh on that. It's, um, for, it's for those tinder dates chair. that's what it's for it's for those walking <laughs> tinder dates exactly um i mean what it now means is that on people on those walking tinder days can can stop over in a park with a picnic a picnic kit and and sit down and have a lovely bottle of wine or whatever the case is which i guess <laughs> is a big deal for those people um then basically by the end of march uh we, we're seeing the rule of six outdoors so six people can then get-together outdoors now this is including private gardens uh, but not including restaurants at this stage Uh, all of that outdoor sports tennis swimming pools golf all that kind of stuff uh, from 29th of March I think that's really good news for everyone who's been rearing to go again Um, and then yeah that's basically the the first step the second step is then 12th of April which means we're returning to non-essential retail hairdressers man hairdressers (laughs) i can see you excited about that one (laughs) i'm so excited about that one barry it's ridiculous Uh, but i'm excited about the hairdressers gyms will reopen again also really good news um and then yeah i mean for for the local travel local holidays all that kind of stuff uh and then yeah basically from that date from the 12th of april you can then extend this rule of six to outdoor restaurants uh, which is which is really cool so it does feel like we're going to get there eventually Um, we we have all of these dates uh, but but not maybe not as fast as some people would have liked and and again for for some people it, it might feel a bit too quick the next step after that I'm just going to quickly skip through the last two steps Barry Step three, and that is no earlier than the 17th of May, is that all of the, the sort of outdoor restrictions were left. You can have like 30 people or whatever the case is. And indoors, you can have six people. Again, that rule of six, indoors. Go Then all of a sudden you can go to pubs and restaurants indoors, cinemas, uh, b and all that kind of stuff. And theatres, Barry. Theatres. Now, this is exciting. Um, and then, no earlier than the 21st of June, and this is the biggest talking point, Really? All legal limits on social contacts removed. So weddings are back on, nightclubs are open, theatres are back going, all of that kind of stuff. I mean, it certainly does feel like we're going to get there eventually. Chad, it feels like a... I know you say there's five weeks in
0: between each step, but it yeah. still feels aggressive to me. Okay. Like to say that the middle of June basically life is back to normal. Yeah. That, is, that is a very big call. And so the question I have for you, and I don't know if you can answer it, but kind of the general sentiment on the ground is that how flexible is a plan like this? Because obviously they spent a lot of time yeah. like putting all this effort in and kind of laying out the tears and trying to be as, as, as structural as possible and make sure you know what's going on. But at the same time we've seen so many twists and turns in this pandemic story like every time we think we've got things under control it hits us another way and so i wonder what is the benefit of planning this far in advance for a virus that we still don't have under control and so my my question and my concern is like how flexible is this stuff and uh, to say the 21st (laughs) of june everything is all hunky-dory that's a big call right
1: it's a big call it definitely is but we do have to remember that we're in a different position than we were before so Basically, all of the vulnerable groups have been—I mean, not all of the vulnerable groups, but the the top one to four have all been vaccinated, and they're plowing through the rest of them uh, every day as we speak. So, just to to touch it, where we started with this discussion being all adults vaccinated by July, or at least offered their first dose by July twenty-first of June, it sort of feels it feels decent, right? But but I get what you're saying. It does. It does also feel a little bit uh, a little bit ambitious. And uh, in terms of the flexibility of the plan, I think it is very flexible. So so Boris wanted this to be the last lockdown. That was the goal with with announcing this roadmap, is that the last lockdown was the last lockdown. And ultimately, that's why there's the five weeks in between. So he's aiming for an irreversible easing. But at the same time, it is flexible. It's always flexible. These dates are not set in stone, so it's no earlier than these dates, basically. And uh, he God. he kind of maintains that it will be guided by data, not dates, and that's one of his key key <laughs> catchphrases these days.
0: Such a politician, hey? Such, uh, a, such a, politician. a politician, exactly.
1: <laughs> um, but but yes, uh, that that's that's the roadmap that we have at least. I mean, I, I definitely think there's merit in publishing something like this because you know a lot of people have been struggling with this indefinite. Uh, you kind of horizon, looking sure. out and and having no idea when this thing's you know going to be ending. Also for businesses who need to plan and and just have a rough idea of when they're going to open their doors again. Of course, travel industry, all of that kind of stuff. There's going to be a review as well uh, on on basically the travel situation where the quarantines are going to happen, where there's going to be vaccine vaccine passports, uh, travel corridors, all that kind of stuff. That's going to be announced on the 12th of April. Uh, and what he said is that's going to be the date because you you so that you can plan your summer holidays which is which is good uh and also you know the the general mood the weather is is getting better here uh you know i was actually walking around with my with just a t-shirt on the other day so everyone's feeling feeling a bit better feeling optimistic about this i really hope these dates materialize
0: yeah yeah i think it's one of those things where um, there's lots of optimism, and obviously you guys did an amazing job with getting the vaccines out as quickly as you can. Yeah. Um, I think what what's really going to make the difference here is can you control the new variants? That's what all of this comes down to, right? If you can control the new variants, then these dates are very reasonable and it kind of works, and, that, and that's how it goes. But if the new variants kind of get o- take, over, take over things and kind of cause some chaos, it could shift these a bit. But I think that of all the countries in the world, you guys are vaccinated. Vaccinating one of the fastest. And so that is really good to see. And I saw some really promising data about some of the countries' vaccinations um, mapped against the case numbers. And it's a complete downward drop. Like the moment the vaccines start to hit, you see this tremendous drop down. Um, And that's really exciting to see. So the vaccines are certainly working as, as as uh as we expected. And the question is. All the other variations are going to come into play and hopefully they don't in the uk
1: yeah well i mean we have to kind of think about why these lockdowns happen in the first place and the, the kind of key mantra has been protect the nhs so for me as soon as you get to the stage where uh, the vaccinations are reducing hospitalizations and the nhs is not mm. overwhelmed then surely you should be standing by that by that mantra and, and letting the economy open up letting the rest of the world open up now i know it's not going away we're going to have to live with it in, sure. in some degree. Uh, but but I think that would yeah. be good. And, and and I agree with you, Barry, just in terms of the, the vaccines being effective. I mean, there's been those results now that we've seen. Uh, sort of 85 yeah. to 90%, 95% even, depending on which vaccine we're talking about, reductions in hospitalizations, yeah. uh, which is which is key, absolutely key. Talking about that date of the 21st of June, uh, one thing I had to mention, Barry, is the petition that I came across. Now... I don't know, how many many e-petitions have you signed in your life? (laughs) Chad, uh, I don't think I've
0: signed one in my entire life, even though, I don't think I've signed one. (laughs) What petitions are you signing, Chad?
1: (laughs) Are you kidding? There's always, I mean, even when I was back in South Africa, there was always some sort of petition to sign up. Uh, I I, I can't think of specifics now, but there's been tons in the past. We have... Put my digital vote there. I'm sure when we were talking about election times, and we were talking about some of the corruption in the NSA, whatever the case is, there must have been a petition Do that I Do you I'd think they make a difference? On. Well, this is the Do thing. You think and this make is, a difference? This is the reason why I asked you that question, is because in the UK, there's a petitioning system, uh, but it kind of it runs through the UK's website. So a couple of weeks ago, there was a petition for the stamp duty holiday. Now, um, the chancellor is going to be doing his budget uh, on the 3rd of March. So we'll, we'll, we'll kind of see what happened with that. But essentially I know a few people who are in the market for buying a property at the moment and the stamp duty is obviously one of those big hurdles. It's the transfer tax on buying a new property. And basically there was a petition to extend that stamp duty holiday for all those people who are currently in the process and they've had extra delays because of COVID and haven't been able to complete in time. Um, And so, you know, I, for all the friends that I know in the process, I I put my e-signature there, like you Barry, just thinking, what's the point of this? Is this actually going to make any difference at all? Uh, But because there's a threshold, a clearly defined threshold, if that petition exceeds a certain number, MPs will debate it. And they had this e-debate, which I actually tuned in as well. Um, And, you know, it seemed, certainly from that particular petition, it seemed like all the MPs were in agreement. So this is why I think it's an, it's important. Uh, this is a particular important one that I'm going to mention now is because in the UK, it seems like people do look at petitions. They work their way into uh, Parliament and MPs actually discuss them. And then following that, obviously, whether it's actually going to be implemented or not is a different story. But this particular petition uh, is a petition to make the 21st of June a bank holiday. And... If you think about everything we've had to endure for lockdown and stuff, I think that would be such a fantastic idea. And uh, I'm just going to pull it up on the screen as it is at the moment. There's currently 32,726 signatures, of which mine is, of course, one. Um, and <laughs> basically, uh, the government will respond if that number reaches 10,000, which it really has, of course. Uh, so there's, we, we're currently waiting two days for a government response. And then once it hits 100,000 signatures... Uh, there will actually be a debate in Parliament. Don't you think, Barry, after everything we've kind of gone through, this would be such a wonderful way to celebrate being able to interact again in a normalish way?
0: I think so, Chad. I think it's a great idea. And uh, sorry for, for for not sounding super enthusiastic about petitions. I think I'm a little bit jaded by South African no, politics, I where yeah. I don't think petitions make that much of a difference. Yeah, yeah. But it sounds like they have to take them more seriously. Um, and that is quite a cool one. Like 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 we said, like you guys have had it really tough. You've had some strict lockdowns for much longer than a lot of other countries. And uh, I think you guys deserve that. As long as it doesn't become a super spreader event, as everyone runs into the parks. Uh, but hopefully, I, I, that, that sounds like a really cool thing. Can I sign it, Chad? Or do I have to be in the UK? Okay, do they do they ask for login credentials?
1: Yeah, so you have to you have to enter a UK postcode. So unfortunately, you can't. Though I appreciate I appreciate that. Although you've never signed one in your life, you would you would put that. You would girls <laughs> can be the first. <laughs> I I do appreciate well, that, but. How-
0: how about this? All of our all of our London listeners, all of our UK listeners right now, all 10 million of you, please go and sign that petition so that Chad gets his bank holiday. <laughs> think million. of it as think of it as your birthday present, Your your birthday present, Your <laughs> birthday present. Think of it as your birthday present yeah. to Chad. Go and sign that petition if you're listening in the UK right now.
1: Thank you very much. If, if anyone actually does go and do that, I'll I'll definitely appreciate it. Um, but I mean, there's also a little bit of logic on it, and and weirdly enough, the guy who created this petition, his name is David Metcalf. He actually created this uh, last year, sometime. He created this in in October or something like that. At some stage last year. And uh, obviously, at that stage, we didn't have the roadmap. We had no idea that the 21st was going to be the date that life returns to normal. But the reason why he chose the date is because it's the longest day in the year. And so if you do consider COVID and essentially, you know, regulations, whatever the case is, it's the safest for people to be outside uh, on the longest sort of day in the year. Um, and so that's, that's why he chose it, which, which I think is quite cool.
0: I think that is cool. And, and and maybe COVID will take the break as well, right? Maybe COVID has been working very hard in the last year or two. So maybe it'll also take the bank holiday and just give everyone a rest. That would be nice.
1: Oh, wouldn't that be good, Barry? Okay, so that's my side of the pond. And I'm sure everyone's sick and tired because they've really heard of that 10 million times before. Uh, but let's then switch over to your side of the pond, Barry. We are talking about this time of the year, obviously, Uh, You know, 28th of February is approaching ever so fast and it's roughly this time every year that we do hear the SA budget speech uh, kind of aligned with the, the individual tax year, whatever the case is. What happened this year?
0: Yeah, Chad. So it was a, obviously a very interesting uh, budget speech. Um, we've spoken in the past about South Africa's current financial situation. So everyone went in a bit, a bit tender, a bit worried about what was going to come out of it, right? And um, We still have this ginormous vaccine program that is being built and, and getting ready to deploy on a mass scale. They weren't sure how they're going to fund that. we still got huge debt problems. Our tax revenue base is small. So a lot of concerns going into the speech. And I think Tito Buwini did a decent job at trying to just kind of give some sort of stability to the situation, and it wasn't as bad as everyone was expecting. It's still bad. <laughs> so we're still not in a good space, yeah. but it certainly wasn't as bad as some people were expecting. So let's run through some of the key parts. The first thing is that for this vaccine program, there's going to be no tax hikes to fund it. I don't know how they I don't know how they're going to do this. They say they're yeah. going to set aside money from budget allocations, from emergency withdrawals and from the contingency reserve if they need it. So apparently that's how they're going to fund this vaccine program but there's going to be no tax hikes for the vaccine itself which came as really good news to individual mm. taxpayers and um, for those not familiar with, with South Africa we have such a small tax paying base that if you are paying tax you're paying in crazy brackets up to like 40 45 50% for a lot of people so to go even higher than that would be would be crazy so it's really good to see that, that has kind of stayed as is and they're going to fund this uh, apparently they've set aside 19.3 billion rand to support this vaccine yep. deployment program and as far as i know we've 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 put about, I think about 80,000 vaccines at the moment. So at the moment, we're just doing our healthcare providers, and that's now going on a day-to-day basis. So I was to a friend of mine in the healthcare system yesterday, and they've got their vaccine tomorrow. So that's cool. quite exciting. So hopefully that is going to continue going, but luckily no tax increases to pay for that. The next piece is that there are no increases to personal tax or corporate tax um, across the board. So that was what everyone was worried about. People were worried about, oh, am I going to pay much more next year? So no tax increases across the board. Um, And one of the good pieces of news that came out is that the total tax revenue shortfall, um, which is the amount that you haven't been able to fill with revenue itself, that you're paying on expenses, has dropped from 200, it was down from 312 billion at the end of October last year, and it's now down to 213 billion. And so that's probably a hundred billion rand drop, and the reason for that, well, there's, there's lots of reasons, but the major reason for that is that there's been lots of increased revenue from the mining sector as commodity prices have improved. So, a, a, as, as many of you all know, South Africa is very, very heavy on mining. We still rely on it for a lot of our economic growth, and when the prices go up, we can sell it for a lot more and, and, and collect much more tax revenue. So that's one of the good pieces that came out of this budget speech, Chad. For those of you who like to drink and to smoke <laughs> and to do all that good stuff, there's more bad news. Yep. There's an extra 8% um, on those sin taxes so on alcohol and tobacco. So that's kind of par for the course every single day we see that. Um, and then the the the, the corporate tax chat looks like it's going to be going down over the, long, the medium to long term. Yep. So for this immediate tax year starting 1st of March, nothing's changing. But going forward, it looks like it's going to come down from 28% to 27%. It might not seem like a lot, but when you see see the kind of numbers you're dealing with with these big corporations, it actually is quite a big difference. And what it is trying to do is trying to keep companies in the country. In a way, it's trying to kind of keep people from outsourcing things and sending things overseas, and trying to stimulate some sort of economic growth here in the country. Unfortunately, obviously, our unemployment rate is absolutely crazy, and the only way we're going to get get that right is to get more businesses employing people so hopefully by reducing the tax burden a tiny bit they'll be able to create more jobs and create more growth which will then help the tax revenue in the longer term does that make sense so it's kind of a a short-term sacrifice hoping to get a longer-term benefit
1: yeah and i think it's the right approach if you want to if you want to keep companies there and and in fact encourage companies to come in the future other companies to to look at south africa as the hub of access to africa um as a as a place that is not going to um you know turn to the corporates and increase taxes in a crazy way etc etc i mean i think that move certainly on the 27% front uh, for anything was just to give some certainty to corporates some certainty yeah. uh, to 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 companies looking at investing into into south africa in the future so like you say i think it's only kicking in in the, in the next year or two um, but but it's, I think it's great news. And, and it's not the end either. Um, I, I think that the target is to approach a level of roughly 20% or somewhere around there. So certainly over the next 10 years, I think there's a lot more to, to come on this front. Because globally speaking, 27% is still pretty high.
0: Yeah, definitely, and I think that because of the strength of the private sector, like for all, for all the criticism we have of South Africa, we have a really strong banking sector, we have a really strong public uh, private sector in general, um, in certain industries, and so if you can support those guys and keep them growing and keep them building, that's really really good. One thing that one one set of people who aren't going to enjoy this, Chad, are the poor accounting students who now have to do even <laughs> more tax rate recons in of the course. future yep. between the twenty eight and the twenty seven percent. So boy, am I glad that we are done with all that stuff, <laughs> Chad.
1: <laughs> I'm really glad. Too, I must be completely honest. Sorry, just to quickly steer this off a little bit, we'll, we'll come back. I just want to say it's the first time my fiance is looking at the podcast at all. Um, and she's wishing <laughs> hey. a happy birthday. So I'm really happy to see that. Uh, thank you very much. Um, and then Barry, your your sister as well, uh, also wishing uh, happy birthday. So we have to have to appreciate that. Thank you very much, everyone, for your birthday wishes. Um, yeah, you're completely right. The tax rate recon stuff, uh, having to change that as the rates change every year. <sighs> Never mind the deferred tax, Barry. Looking at the the sort of future oh, rates of uh, how how don't are even the, get me started. <laughs> how your deferred <laughs> tax is actually going to unwind in the future? All of that kind of stuff. You're
0: bringing back nightmares, Chad. You're bringing back <laughs> nightmares. <laughs>
1: (laughs) (laughs) That was one of
0: the worst parts about the accounting is those deferred deferred tax calculations. Oh, I, I'm still convinced that in my board exam, Chad, I completely stuffed it up. I'm still convinced. I don't know how I passed that thing. <laughs> uh,
1: I think, I think you, I think you're being too hard on yourself, Barry. I think you actually, uh, you actually did okay. I must be honest. Uh, it, it is one of those concepts that any of us, any of those people listening to us, who have no idea about accounting, um, it's not as interesting as it sounds. Uh, but it, when you first hear about the concept of default attack, you're like, "What the heck?" Until you actually get into it and start looking through the mechanics, um, yeah. Let's not go down that rabbit hole Barry completely. Um I mean I do want to talk about the the personal tax as well in, in South Africa. I want to talk about um the the fact that there's no increases there because we've obviously also been seeing uh, a little bit of uh, you know people moving overseas because of increases in in taxes in SA and and not getting you know not getting the worth for for their high taxes. So I also think there was a, a very specific reason for not increasing that and and what they actually did instead um I don't know if anyone will be familiar with the phenomenon of bracket creep. Uh, so basically every year the, the brackets get increased. Obviously, as inflation uh, you know moves and changes, uh you're you're basically the threshold for where you start getting taxed changes. And this year they increased those brackets by five percent, where inflation is sort of more around three, three and a half percent in South Africa. So you're actually getting quite a big benefit. And, and certainly those people in the sort of lower uh, you know mid to low kind of brackets and and you know the, that that kind of social economic uh, pe- people are, are going to benefit quite a bit by this change.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a small thing, but it actually makes a big difference. And because the, all these things are on a sliding scale, when you move these variables, you change these levers, you really can help people, and that's what they're trying to yep. do. It, it, it's a difficult situation to be in, of course, because we're still trying to fix this deficit and we're still trying to get things going. But again, it's it's a bet on the future of the country, and that's what I really like. It's just a kind of long-term thing saying, we're going to find a way out of this, we're going to be able to turn this around, yep. so let's try and keep our people in the country. Let's try and keep our top our top talent, the people who are paying tax, let's give them as much support as we can with the hope that they're going to go out and grow the company exactly. grow the, grow the country grow the economy and all those things. And so it's a very optimistic it's very South African in nature like we really are resilient people. We've we've been through this hundreds of times in our past. And so we will come through again and I still remain optimistic even to the surprise of a lot of my friends who are a little bit more pessimistic about this country. I think things like this really show that that we are still fighting and we're still going yep. to try and yep. pick it up. And to all of my South African friends here in, in the country, like, please do your bit to actually make this happen. Uh, unfortunately, nothing happens without you guys, and without yep. you actually trying to build things and create opportunities where you can. And so let's try and take these opportunities that, that the budget allows us to and these little, these little mercies where your tax might come down a little bit. Hmm. And let's try and plow that back into the economy. Because I think that's the only way as a country we're going to come out of this stronger than before.
1: Yeah, completely agree. I know Barry is one of the most patriotic people I know, and I love it. I, I, I do love it. So, yeah, I mean that that that's a that's a great message. I I definitely agree with that. Um, so yeah, interesting. I mean, not really uh, too much of a change, certainly on the sort of October. 2020 catch-up that we had obviously we were looking at the budget deficit there that's still looking uh, still not looking great in terms of as a percentage of, of gdp <laughs> um there's all of the debt that still needs to be paid with very high servicing cost all that kind of stuff um but but certainly part of this agenda and part of this reallocation like you mentioned to, to kind of free up extra cash to be used for the vaccines and stuff barry is cutting down the public sector wage bill um which Tita mueni still stands by as being bloated
0: Yeah, definitely. It's one of the things we've been chatting about for two or three years now, this idea that we just have a public sector that is just so bloated that you don't need all these people. And it's such a difficult political move to make and that's why I think it's a brave one to make is because you're really tackling jobs here and and jobs is the, the number one conversation here in the country. And so I'm hoping we see more progress on that. I'm hoping we see things become a bit leaner and meaner. I had a great chat the other day with a friend of mine who, well, a new acquaintance, a new friend who used to work in in government. And so for the first time, I got some insight into what it actually looks like on the inside. And I think obviously, the media is always going to over exaggerate things, right? They're always going to take it to the nth degree. And so when you look at it from the outside, it sounds like every falling apart. But he gave me a little bit of confidence to say like, listen, they understand the problems, they understand the bloatedness, they understand all the things they're trying to deal with. Yeah. But it's so difficult to make these moves when your unemployment rate is 40, 45%, right? It's so difficult to make any move because it just looks terrible from a PR perspective. Yep. Yep. So it takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of kind of long-term thinking to, to kind of say, listen, getting leaner and meaner will be better for us in the long term. And we'll be able to kind of create the jobs we need to create. Um, but it's it's tough to stand in front of a parliament and say that.
1: Yeah, definitely. Completely agree. Um, yeah, hopefully we see some some furthering in that agenda because, uh, you know, it's not, it's not going to be an easy one to do, especially when, Uh, You know, when people become used to a certain kind of lifestyle and uh, and, you know, a a level of output ultimately, which is is what we're talking about here as well. It's just fine if you if you get the output for the amount that you pay. Uh, But, yeah, really interesting. Okay, so talking then about some other changes in South Africa, Barry, uh, we've had some town and city name changes uh, now, oh, yes. Port oh, Elizabeth yes. is, a, is a place, talking about uh, unemployment and all that kind of stuff, it, it, it's pretty high up there. Uh, but it seems like rather than spending cash on addressing that, what South Africa <laughs> are doing is changing names. <laughs>
0: It's not the first time, Chad. It's not the first time. And uh, there's there's always these huge debates whenever these big name changes come out. Um, I I remember a couple in the past, and it always becomes very, very controversial And you get people screaming at each other from both sides of the coin. Um, If you try and be objective about it, there there are two sides of this coin, right? The the first side is that, like, do we have the money to be spending on these name changes? Is it our first priority? Should we be worrying about it? What does it do for tourism? Those sorts of things. That's the Mm. one side of the coin. And then the other side is that South Africa, of course, has been through this really rugged and terrible history with apartheid and and the kind of colonialism that came with it. And a lot of our towns and cities are still named in those names. So Port Elizabeth is named after the the British Queen, right? It's the most colonial name you could think of. And so it makes a lot of sense that people want to change that to something that's more African and more kind of something we can own. Um, But it's hard when when… In your mind it's always been poor Elizabeth to now then yeah. change things and yeah. so this, these things take time and in the first couple of weeks after the change people are just going to shout at each other that's that's all that's going to happen
1: <laughs> yeah no completely agree I mean it, it does it does make sense like you say Barry uh, there's some clear reasons for it and and there's both Part of the debate, but the questionable questions is whether you're up to speed with the names or not um, I mean I just have to very quickly uh, just address one of the the comments that we've got in now which is from someone uh, called Saul and uh, yeah thank you so much for all the wishes and this is someone from Mexico, so thank you so much that, that really is uh, very very great to hear I'm sure that person from Mexico is going to enjoy. What we're about uh, to embark on, Barry. And, and I'm actually going to bring it up here onto the screen. Uh, so, Ooh, so these okay. are the name changes. So what was once Port Elizabeth, I'm going to try myself, is now Nebecha. Was that all right?
0: Nebecha. I think so. <laughs> That's I, not bad. I, I, I always struggle with the GQs. It's not bad. It's like, I, I, I don't think it's 100% there. It's like Nebecha. <laughs> but I think that, I, oh, I don't know. I don't know. Are you we close? close?
1: you close. I think you're close. Uh, why did not you talk me through the other ones? Uh, so, Uteneg. Yes.
0: So, Uteneg is now Karicha. Karicha. I think I like that's it. how you say that one. Um, then, going down to the towns, Berlin is in Tabozuko. I think that's it. Does that sound Very right to you, that
1: sounds, that sounds pretty good, Barry.
0: There we go. All right. Then, Makle Town is now Nganguru. <laughs> oh This is terrible. the hardest.
1: Ngangaru. the two clicks? I think.
0: Ngangaru. Is that
1: right? I think, so. I think so. I think so. Something
0: like that. I really need to practice these, Chad. <laughs> and then Williams King Williamstown, Williams which is actually down in the same place, is Nongke, I'm
1: guessing. Cool. Does that sound right? It sounds right to me. It cool. uh, th- th- yeah, sounds right to me. That sounds pretty good. I'm, uh, I'm quite you impressed.
0: Have to understand, you have to understand, these are two white South Africans trying their best. We really do need <laughs> to do our homework. And there's been a lot of cool like TikToks and videos and stuff of people trying to teach these, these names. Yeah. And I think it brings up an interesting point that There's been a lot of criticism of white South Africans in the past that we haven't made the effort to actually learn native languages and African languages. And we've kind of just expected things to be in our favor all the time. And so I really want to challenge everyone, especially if you're in South Africa, to actually try and learn these names. And and I, I know I don't do a great job right now, but I'm hoping to learn them over time, um, because I think it really does go a long way to actually improving the relations here in the country. Yeah. And it's a simple thing like a name. It's, it sounds silly, but it means so much to people, especially if you know learn their own personal name, but the city's names as well. So yeah, Chad, I think we need to do some homework. But there's also some airports <laughs> I see. I don't yeah. see those ones.
1: Yeah, some airports and and uh, yeah, basically yeah, the, the the two the two airports uh, in Port Elizabeth and East London as well, uh, which are a lot easier to, to pronounce. So so we'll skip those. But I, I agree with you, Barry. I think <laughs> uh, I think it certainly is a great opportunity um, for for unity weirdly enough when these name changes happen um to to give it a go give it your full go and make an idiot out of yourself in trying to pronounce them um and you know yeah. if anything you're just going to get uh, some positive interaction with with people who know how to how to say them better um and and yeah that that that's always good
0: and, and Chad, it, it's—I know this sounds weird, but it's sexy. The clicks in, in <laughs> South African languages are sexy, man. I remember yeah. when Trevor Noah went on some of the the British talk shows, and all they wanted him to do was speak corso to them. That's all they wanted. Um, and so I think that we, we we need to embrace this, and especially someone like me who's been in a very very like bubble his whole life. Yeah. It's really important that we try and push ourselves out of that comfort zone and, and try and learn some of these things. So a little challenge to all South African listeners of across the pond: please go and go and give these names a go. Don't feel sh- don't feel shy. Don't feel like embarrassed just give it a go and, and you'll learn over time
1: absolutely and, and if you're if you're not a south african you're a foreigner who wants to eventually go and visit south africa um we, we, you know give it a go as well in in trying to pronounce <laughs> it when you put it into your maps it's, it's going to feel it's going to feel a bit strange barry when you when you're in south africa again you pop it into your map and you're like oh no I'm, it's not port Elizabeth anymore it's uh uh <laughs> and uh i mean i'm sure i'm sure we'll, i'm sure we'll get there all righty let's then move on it's our next segment. Stuff I found interesting. All of the stuff and the stuff I found interesting uh, piece of our podcast in the last couple of weeks has been us binge watching some stuff. And this is no different. This is a documentary that I watched last night that actually I came across weirdly enough because I follow Justin Timberlake and he put out a statement on his Instagram page apologizing for how he treated a whole bunch of people throughout his uh, career some things that he said and did that he shouldn't have uh, and of course i was i was quite intrigued as to, as to what this could have been um and one of those people were britney uh, britney spears and essentially it's a documentary called framing Brittany. it's a new york times documentary about her current situation so obviously, as all documentaries do, you know they they paint the picture. They talk you through her journey, and uh, how she basically how she went from being an innocent kind of angelic America's girl next door to then being someone who's seen as as being a bit a bit of a vixen, if you'd like. Uh, you know, not 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 being perceived too too well for for mothers and their young daughters. Um, and then kind of moving on from that, uh, we saw her struggle with with mental health and we saw a breakdown um and and of course you know a lot of people having having some some really bad things to say about her from that point on so firstly obviously really interesting looking through that journey as one common narrative uh, because you know we were we were really i mean i was I was born when she was getting up in the world, like when she was a little girl uh, on that stage with a very first sort of microphone in her hand, uh, you know, that was, that's sort of the beginning of my life. And, and obviously when we were young, Barry, uh, certainly in primary school, Brittany was, Brittany was a thing.
0: I think we forget how much of a thing she was. She was the queen of pop at that stage. She was the number one kind of draw card. And like you say, she was a sex icon at the end of the day. She was just like very, very, amazing singer, amazing dancer, very, very pretty. And and she kind of used her sex appeal to really push her music forward. Um, and so I think it, it's been a really interesting case study. And I think it's kind of, I, I kind of draw a parallel chat to almost the, the Justin Bieber effect, like later yep. on, like at that stage, she was the number one draw card. And at such a young age, we've seen this time and time again, when someone gets thrown into the spotlight like that, when they're very, very young and they haven't really developed much maturity or my self awareness just yet, there's always room for problems. And that's definitely. where some of this character stuff comes from, I think.
1: Yeah, definitely. So it basically talks you through following leading into that breakdown and and going you know going beyond so so basically um her her life sort of took a wrong turn she had two kids uh with her with her ex-husband um and there was issue in getting custody she kind of maybe went in with the wrong crowd there was sort of uh speculation that she was on drugs and and doing all that kind of stuff um, so basically, her father applied to the courts in the U.S. with this concept, which which I have never heard of before. I don't think it's a concept that uh, that features in South Africa. It's a, this idea of conservatorship. Um, and essentially, that's split down the middle into control of a person's life. And sort of life choices so something as simple as when that person brushes their teeth or goes to bed or who they see all of that kind of stuff um, and then secondly how that person manages their finances so looking at that person's estate um, and effectively her, her dad applied to be the conservator of both uh, of these sort of realms and uh, ultimately at that point in time she had applied she, she had uh, done a bit of consultation with a, a lawyer and the courts effectively said that they had a they were in possession of a document that said she wasn't allowed to have legal representation because she wasn't of right mind to have her own legal representation uh, etc etc and and basically she didn't want her dad to be the conservator at that stage it seemed like she was okay with the the idea of of getting what happened Uh, sorry getting a conservator in place because of where her life was at that stage but she very clearly did not want her dad to be one Um, and so because of that document that the court possessed her legal representation didn't happen and he ended up becoming the conservator and ultimately this is where she is at the moment she currently has sort of no control over her her life, when she leaves the house, who she gets to see, which contract she signs up to, what sort of performances she does, all of that kind of stuff. Um, because what started out as a temporary arrangement, this thing was supposed to be a temporary arrangement, at some point she kind of accepted it, she accepted this arrangement. And a lot of people say that she maybe did that because she wanted to get custody of her kids and obviously public perception and the judge you know, perceiving that she wants to get her life back on track uh, maybe that would have worked in a favour, but the technicality here, the legal technicality, is once you've accepted it, it's very hard, if not impossible, to remove this uh, conservatorship. And so, basically, what's happening at the moment is all of her fans are are rallying behind her, and there's a hashtag called hashtag #FreeBritney, uh, which has been trending. Of course, uh, there were some some court cases during COVID, even um, in in trying to get her dad removed first and foremost. Because basically when she was at uh, in Las Vegas, which is literally last year, I went to a Britney Spears concert, I think it was last year or even the year before that. And that was the end of her Vegas run. It was like one of her last sh- times replaying that show. And she came to London and did it. Uh, and it was obviously great to see her. But basically he had asked to be receiving 1.5% of the earnings from the proceeds of that sure. show. And Vegas residencies, Barry, are are big money. At that stage, (laughs) she was earning sort of a million dollars a week. Um, And so this is basically the situation. I find it pretty fascinating. I don't know if you've ever heard of Free Britney, conservatorships, generally speaking, or this phenomenon at all.
0: So I saw the hashtag and I saw the training, but I didn't follow up with all these details. This is really interesting. There's so much to unpack here. Like The first thing to unpack is this idea of these child stars who obviously can't control all the money they're receiving right at the beginning. And so they have these parents or they have guardians or managers and producers who kind of get involved too early on. And how do you untangle that later down the line when they can eventually make their, their own decisions? We chatted about Dave Chappelle in, in a previous episode, yep. talking about a show that he signed away and then was trying to wrestle back. We've talked about Taylor, we've we've spoken about Taylor Swift doing yep. the same thing with her masters. And so it's a it's a recurring theme here that you get these 14, 15, 16-year-old superstars are earning all this money and they have to sign all these contracts to kind of keep things going that comes back to haunt them in their later years so that's the one piece the second piece is is clearly from what it's from what she's told me chad it sounds like her dad is is a bit of a douchebag and is kind of trying to wrestle as much as possible out of this so there's obviously horrible family dynamics there there's the mental health aspect of it obviously she's not had an at, at a it's not always been on top of her game and she struggled with a lot of stuff throughout her life so this this cornucopia of all these these things come together to make it a really difficult story and mm. just listening to that i felt a little bit sad Chad. it feels yeah. a little bit a little bit wrong as you got this this female superstar this icon of, of pop music from from the 2000s that really is has, has gone through some horrible things in the last little bit and uh yeah it's it's how do you untangle all of this it's really tough
1: yeah it's really tough especially and you go and look at her instagram at the moment and you look at you, you you try and gather whether she's happy with this arrangement whether she's happy with her current situation and it's really hard to do. Um, you 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 can't not feel, you know, sad for her current situation. And uh, I mean, what it seems like at the moment is it seems like she's at a stage where she's able to function on a pretty normal level. I mean, she did, I think it was a full year residency in Las Vegas. Uh, maybe maybe not that long. Um, but you know, she certainly made a heck of a lot of money doing that. And and she's been doing all of these other campaigns. She's got her perfume. She's got all sorts of stuff. She seems to be functioning pretty normally. Um, So the question of whether she still needs to be in a conservatorship, that's what's up, that's what's up for debate, and uh, I I don't think it's the last we're going to see on this, I certainly think public are are now going to rally behind her and this cause even more, now that we've got this uh, documentary, Um, but one thing I wanted to discuss, this is a a sort of sub-theme Barry, is looking back all of those years at when she snapped at the paparazzi, and I mean, we have to empathize with this, because having cameras in your face all the time um, and, and sort of wanting to say, no, not today. I'm I'm not, I'm not in the mood for this today. Um, it, it's just, it's just not an option. And these people kind of get into all areas of your life. Um, for me, it was only a matter of time before she snapped.
0: It's, it's a combination of two things. It's a combination of the, the, the sort of person who becomes a pop superstar. You've already self-selected psychologically for certain traits, right? So you're already going to be like, like, no no normal sane person is able to get in front of 80,000 people and perform her hard art and kind of give it all and, and not be overwhelmed by that situation. You have to be a little bit different to the average person. Definitely. And then the second piece is, like you say, what you have to sacrifice for a life of fame. Um, obviously, it's, it's, it brings you with a lot, of, a lot of money, a lot of admiration, a lot of really good stuff. But there's also amazing, or not amazing, there's also terrible perils that come with it. Um, a lack of a personal life, a complete under the microscope every single moment of your life. Chad, imagine not being able to just walk out of your door in your sweatpants to go and yeah. fetch the mail. Like, imagine just something simple like that. Or not being able to go to a shopping center and just go and like sit at Nando's and eat some, eat some dinner, right? Um, not being able to do that really takes a toll on a human being. And and the way we put these guys on pedestals, these these superstars, it's not good for them. And even though we enjoy it because we we can kind of enjoy their music and enjoy what they create in the world, for their personal life, it's it, it's not a good life to live. Mm-hmm. And I don't know about you, Chad, but when I was younger, I, I wanted to be a rock star, right? I had the dreams. I had the dreams of be, becoming <laughs> of one of these these major music stars. Um, if I look at it now, I, I actually don't know if I want that life. I don't know if I if I would give up what I have right now for that sort of lifestyle. Um, and I think it's why we see a lot of stars when they get a bit older pulling back from the from mm. the paparazzi, pulling back from things. I've noticed it with, with, with Justin Bieber is kind of the canonical example. If you look at two or three years ago, he was everywhere. He was like all over the place. He was really pushing his career. And since he's got married, he's, he's very, very yeah. like actively pulled away from that public life. And I think we are seeing the same with Sean Mendes. We've seen the same with a bunch of these child stars who are realizing it's not all it's cracked up to be.
1: Yeah, completely agree. And while we're talking about child stars, um, I mean, worth worth discussing this comment that we just received. So do you think there should be laws, Barry, regarding how much public work a child or teenager can be involved with, uh, especially when you're talking about artists and I guess just just in the limelight, uh, there's this wild potential for earning capacity. And of course, parents, you know, want to take advantage of, of that. Um, and of course, you know, certain parents will, will, will set that kid up for success for the rest of life by investing those funds in the right way. But just talking about how kids can actually handle the capacity to handle all of that, everything that comes with it. Do you think it's the stage to start talking about laws? I mean, you can't work uh, beyond below the age of 16. Why is it different in performing?
0: Yeah, it's it's very interesting. I I I don't know how you enforce something like that, right? So I understand the sentiments and whatnot, but how do you set where do you set that line? um kind of the way these guys work at the moment is that they'll put out an album and then they'll tour the world for 12 months and they'll do 200 shows in 300 days or whatever the story is right so it really is intense and i think that it, it's the right thing to be thinking about like is this too much and uh, should there be laws protecting those 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 youngsters who don't have the right, who don't have the capacity to kind of sign on that line for themselves But at the same time, our pop stars are getting younger and younger all the time, right? There's been more and more of these 16-year-old, 15-year-old superstars coming out of the woodwork. And if you look on TikTok, I mean, some of the biggest TikTok stars, for example, are 14, 15, Mm 16-year-old girls for a lot of them. Um, and so how do we protect them? Is it through law? Is it through like public kind of perception? Is it through much better governance structures around how the money is managed? I don't know how we get that right. But we've seen time and time again, these these problems crop up with these child stars, and, and maybe we have to start thinking about more strict solutions or more kind of in-depth, robust solutions to ensure that we don't lose the, the 10 years or 15 years of someone's career because they go off their rocker, in a sense
1: yeah completely agreed and just just that that phrase of going off the rocker um that's something else that that i thought was key in watching this documentary is how the narrative towards mental health has changed uh in the last decade because obviously when her breakdown happened uh was quite a number of years years ago i think it was in 2009 2007 sorry 2007 somewhere around there um obviously we've quite a lot since then and when we talk about mental health we now understand that it's a spectrum everyone else everyone has it um it's it's less of a you know it's less of a stigma um and so that was also really really quite clear to me when watching this documentary
0: yeah i think i think that's a good point and i think that as this conversation evolves hopefully people start to realize the toll that is is being put on these people i think the more documentaries we see and the more kind of behind the curtain we see and we see how these things impact these young people will really make a big difference chad i I know when we watched the sean mendes documentary and we saw Mm. him canceling a show and kind of watched him going through that process that really struck a chord for me it's like when you're in that stadium and you've paid all your money you're like why the hell isn't he here like i I feel offended because i I paid for it and i have a right to see sean mendes but then you see the other side of the coin and you realize that he's been touring for months and months and months and his voice is gone and he feels so bad about canceling. Um, and so I think we all, this mental health conversation is really has to come into the picture. And I think that it is, it's moving slowly. Hopefully we're getting more authentic. We're getting more vulnerable with each other. And maybe in the future, we'll see these child stars being managed a little bit better. Um, because unfortunately, it's one of those things where if you don't manage them correctly in the beginning, mm-hmm. you're going to lose their second half of their career. I think of Michael Jackson. I think of Britney Spears. All these people who could have had 10 or 12 more yeah. years of making really good music if they weren't if they weren't in the state that they were in. And I think an interesting example, Chad, is what's going to happen with Billie Eilish going forward. So Billie Eilish has been one of those young stars. She's yeah. 17 or 18 at the moment. I'm curious to see what the next five years of her life look like and how they manage that. Because she is a different artist, feels. She is very in touch with herself. She's very self-aware and she's kind of mature beyond her age. Mm. And so I'm curious to see how her career is going to be managed. Obviously, she had an amazing debut album and that kind of blew the world blew the world away. Um, and we'll have to wait and see whether that's going to follow a similar path or maybe that might be an example of something that goes a little bit better. I don't know.
1: I think she's the perfect example, Barry. I think you you hit the nail on the head there, uh, because I mean she is extremely young. How old is she now? I think I think she's sort of at around eight, eighteen or something like that. Eighteen
0: or something, yeah, something yeah, like that. Um,
1: really, really young. And and I, I I actually recall Justin Bieber getting in touch with her and uh, and kind of reaching out and saying, "I'm here to support you because what's what's coming uh, can be." unmanageable. Uh, so so definitely is an interesting one to watch. I do hope she can uh, keep grounded, keep all of those good things. like you say, she she, she seems to be, she seems to be mature and seems to have have an idea of um, of how to manage all of this. but uh, but it definitely is a very interesting uh, example to to mention, and yeah, we'll certainly have to watch that space. So let's then Barry, move on to the next segment. Looking ahead.
0: Oh yes, it's my turn again, Chad, <laughs> to bring up some blockchain technology. Um, I can't help but get excited about this stuff, and uh, I think, Chad, you might you might actually find this quite fascinating. Sure. And I don't know where I stand on this new piece of tech, and so I'm curious to hear your thoughts. But basically, there's been a lot of hype in the last week or so about something called an NFT. what that stands for is a non-fungible token it's a terrible name but blockchain people are all nerds and they're not marketing people so we just have to stick with it (laughs) nft a non-fungible token and let me try and explain what this is basically what an nft tries to do is it tries to take a digital asset and put it onto the blockchain so that it can be protected and kind of owned by somebody so we've spoken about in the past how with deep fakes and all this kind of new technologies coming into media, we're not going to know if a video is real or not, right? We're not going to be able to verify if it's actually the real thing or if it's someone's Photoshopped version. And what NFTs are going to try and do is try and provide that verification using the, the technology of blockchain and cryptography to say that, cool, this piece of art or this piece of music or this piece of, of video is legit and it kind of you can verify it on the blockchain. And the version that I own is the real thing. And so even though you might have 10,000 other copies, you aren't able to validate that unless you have that private key on that blockchain. Right. Now, where this gets interesting is that what that enables, Chad, is it enables digital digital collectibles. So imagine instead of going and buying a famous um, Leonardo da Vinci painting and putting it on your wall and kind of storing it for millions and millions of dollars, if you had a digital art piece and you could own the digital rights to that piece of work, and then you could trade trade that as you would a, a, like a piece of fine art, for example. Or if you had a video that was just, I don't know, important for some reason, and you could own a piece of that video. Um, and and that's what NFTs are trying to do. They're trying to bring these investments into digital art pieces onto the blockchain so that when you own it, Chad, only you can have it. And even like a screenshot or a copy or anything doesn't have that, that blockchain stamp on it. And that means that it opens up the market to invest and trade and kind of Build digital portfolios in the same way we would collecting art or Pokemon cards mm-hmm. or baseball cards or whatever the story is. How does that sound?
1: It sounds like a fascinating idea. Absolutely fascinating idea. I mean, the name uh, I still don't quite know what that F is and how you would spell <laughs> it, Barry. Uh, but it sounds really quite interesting. I mean, my only question is obviously at the moment when we look at sort of Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies, there is a kind of set number of them, um, and obviously there's a sort of value but they each have the same value because they're they're all the same. Is this different? Because each artwork surely can't have the same trading value.
0: Yeah, it is. And so basically each artwork becomes a token, right? And the F you're referring to is a word called fungible. Fungible. And what that means is that if it's not fungible, it means it can't be broken apart. It can't be transferred unnecessarily. It can't be kind of duplicated. It's complete on its own. And the idea is that you've got this token on the block. I know there's lots of jargon, so I do apologize, (laughs) but you've got, you've got this token on the blockchain and when you have it in your, in your wallets or in your, in your, your ownership, therefore you can decide what that price is going to be. So then the price gets determined in Bitcoin or in Ethereum or in some other cryptocurrency. And it, it depends on the supply and demand. So we've seen, just in the last week, Chad, we've seen thousands of these things being minted and being sold and bought across across the world. We've seen things go for hundreds of thousands of dollars already. We we, we saw Logan Paul, one of the biggest YouTubers in the world, yep. mint, I think, 14 Pokemon cards, a digital oh, format. Wow. Um, and they went for, I think, $300,000 in total. So this thing is real and it's already running. And, and that's why everyone is so excited. And And the whole idea is that, if if you can own art and you can kind of really own in the physical world, how do we bring that investment like potential to the digital world? And beyond the investing is is this idea that you can validate things are legit and are authentic, right? Your your Leonardo da Vinci photocopy doesn't doesn't it's not worth it that much to be honest, yeah. right? Because it's not the real thing. Whereas an NFT is trying to do that in a digital format. Of course, it's more difficult, and 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 the core conversation is that. Do we want to be enjoying art on a Bitcoin wallet or a blockchain wallet? I don't know if if that's what we want to do. But it is an interesting use case for a lot of different reasons. And I think that. It's it's very, very new. It's literally a couple of weeks old, Chad, but okay. it's got so much hype in the last little bit. There's an amazing artist called Beeple. If you want to go and look at what he's doing with NFTs, he is like embracing this completely and he's okay. throwing all of his art on there and making a lot of money selling these digital tokens. Um, and so I think it's, there's lots to talk about here. Another use case, I, I, sorry, I know Monologue. Go here. for it. Another use case go is exciting is, is real estate. Cool. So if you think about real estate at the moment, if you want to buy into a property, you've got to go and kind of Meet the person, go and do the deal, do all the transfer, the paperwork, all of that sort of stuff. But if that real estate was tokenized, if that was available on a blockchain, you could potentially open that up to a market of investors that weren't able to meet you in person or kind of go through all the channels traditional real estate goes through. And potentially you could own a piece of that real estate. So, for example, if you wanted to invest in a stadium or in a big mansion, and you could buy a small portion of that real estate through this tokenization. So, what this does is it allows digital assets to then become part of the blockchain and part of the global transactions, which opens it up to a whole bunch of new kind of possibilities. So, a lot to unpack, Chad, but, but that's, that's what, what NFTs sound like to me
1: it sounds fascinating uh and uh, yeah i mean it does it does definitely sound to ask one, answer one of our listeners uh, questions it sounds like an individual bitcoin but i guess the question is it all still sits within its own kind of ecosystem so within this ecosystem you have a whole bunch of individual tokens where you can still see all of the others um so even though you know typically when, when we talk about cryptos you've got like you say bitcoin you've got ethereum dogecoin all of the rest they all sit within their own little ecosystem and within each of them there is a limited number, a limited number of except for dogecoin which you educated me on Doge. last last to week to the moon
0: to the moon <laughs> um,
1: you know but w- whereas here you've got all of these in this nft system you've got the individual tokens uh, that all exist still within the same system is that right
0: yeah so I- NFTs are an asset class they're not the name of a token right. for example so an NFT is an like like a real estate or like a stock it's just it's just a type of asset and you can mint I mean Chad we could go on today and mint across the pond NFTs and we could take a clip of the podcast cool and say, cool, if you want to own this clip of the podcast and you, only you can own it, we can mint that coin tomorrow. Right. So so it's 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 more of a technology layer than a coin itself. And the tokens are the things that you put on. So whether it's a piece of art or a piece of music or a video and whatnot. So when you mint that token, then what you're saying is that this piece of media I own, and if I want to, I can sell that token to you. I can sell it to somebody else on, on, on the internet, and then they will own that piece. And so we, we're going to see a lot a lot of things in collectibles. So Pokemon cards, and then baseball cards, and all these collectibles that people do physically yep. are now going to come into the digital landscape. And that opens up whole new markets. Because instead of trying to find someone with a box of famous Pokemon cards halfway across the world, <laughs> you can invest in that immediately. And uh, so while it's not something I'm looking into, it, it, the use cases here are immense. And of course, there's going to be lots of scams. So we must talk about that yep. in the future. But yep. there's going to be lots of scams that come with this. <laughs> um, but if you can wade through that stuff and give it a couple years, I think this could be a really interesting alternative asset class for investment.
1: Really, really cool. And uh, I mean, when cryptos came out in the first place, we a lot of people said blockchain as a concept is wonderful. Not just cryptocurrency, the idea of currency, but using the actual the actual underlying technology, which is blockchain. Uh, and this is sounds like one of those wonderful use cases. Let's then move on to our next segment. Develop and grow. Okay, so this one is, uh, it's going to be a pretty short one, if I'm honest. Um, But it's basically, uh, I watched a live stream today uh, of a conversation with an author. And I'm going to bring up uh, what his book is. And I'm in the wrong place over here so apologies let me move it up over <laughs> there uh, but it's a guy by the name of Mohsen Zaidi and he's written a book called A Dutiful Boy uh, a memoir of secrets lies and family um, and basically it's it's a book essentially about his journey um, as a gay muslim man um, and his journey to acceptance um, which which obviously you know there's loads of different elements to unpack there. Uh, you know having been brought up in east london uh, obviously, in in this kind of religious family, but basically from this live stream, um, I took two observations, which I think we we definitely need to talk about. Now, I want to read the book, and uh, I mean, already I can hear it's going to be a cracking a cracking book, and I think it's got some wonderful reviews and ratings as things stand. Uh, so I think I think we should definitely check back on it, Barry, once we once we've read the book. But just from the live stream and, and looking at how he answered questions and that kind of stuff. Um, the first observation I, I took was this idea of something being too heavy uh, and and something being too heavy now, for now. So basically what, what he did is he, he painted this picture of you go into a, a gym weight room and you're with your personal trainer and there's a barbell with a whole bunch of weights on there and you just look at it and you're like, no, I can't lift that. It's too heavy. It's just too heavy. I simply cannot lift that. And... The personal trainer sort of turned to him and said you can't lift that now but you will be able to lift that at some point in time Um, and you know I I, I love this idea because it, it kind of reminds me of of complex concepts we, we spoke about deferred tax a little bit earlier in this uh, podcast Barry but sometimes when you when you look at a concept a complex comp- uh, concept or when you look at um, just an amount of stress, or, or overcoming a problem, or whatever the case is, it might seem at that point in time like it's too much, but ultimately, as you get on with with life and as you grow as a person, you might be able to carry that load one day. Um, and I just thought it was a wonderful journey. So he obviously applied that to uh, this idea of of his burden and the sort of uh, you know being becoming accepted and and the excessive amount of weight that he had on his shoulders um, and how. It It's kind of seemed like all too much uh, when he when he realized, you know, his affinity and and he realized how tricky it was going to be to to break it to his uh, his family in whatever the case is. Uh, but but ultimately, over time, that load gets easier and uh, you can eventually bear that load. The second observation that I had from this live stream was the idea of a chosen family, which I love, um, and he basically you know he basically introduced this concept saying that the gay community overall has a concept of a chosen family because a lot of the time uh, these people will not be accepted by their families and so they they feel the need to uh, obviously create create your own family um and i think i think it's wonderful i think we can all do this uh, you know you don't have to be a part of the gay community to be able to benefit from having a chosen family not everything you do in your life is going to be something that your family is going to get behind you on. And you need support. You, you need a support structure to keep going and to grow and to be the person you can be. So essentially, we should all get some element of a chosen family Uh, people who are there for you in good times in bad times Um, and you know you might you might call them a chosen family outright you might they might know that they're part of your chosen family or not Uh, but the fact that in your mind you have a group of people that you've assigned as your chosen family who you know you can count on when things get rough Um, I love it I love this concept Um, and yeah I just love these these two analogies
0: that's so cool, Chad. And, and thank you for bringing this to our attention. I think this is a book I definitely need to get my hands on. Yeah. You certainly sold me on that. <laughs>
1: awesome.
0: Um, and just to respond to the two pieces individually, the, the first piece of of trying to break things down and not be overwhelmed by the gravity of a situation. Um, I can certainly relate to this a lot. I, I'm a chronic overthinker and I'm very good at kind of looking at something that's gone wrong or a problem I'm facing or some sort of obstacle, and just telling myself. How the hell am I going to get over this thing? Yeah. How am I going to get around it? Because it just seems too much at that time. And often it will take a friend of mine to kind of point me and just say, like, what is the first step? Like, if you were to break this down into a much smaller thing, and once you start get some momentum, then you can start to tackle this thing step by step. And I think that's the case with with work, with personal life, with, with things you're dealing with, your know, internal battles, we we are often our own worst enemy, and we often think that we have to fix this thing tomorrow. So this true. huge huge shadow that is over our shoulder, we have to try and fix it tomorrow. And because it's so overwhelming, we end up ignoring it, or kind of sabotaging ourselves, or going away from it because we we don't know how to fix that thing. And the more we can realize that it's okay if it's too heavy right now, it's okay. Like hmm. what can yeah. you lift? Can yeah. you just lift the barbell? Can you take all the weights off and just lift the barbell for a couple of days and and build your strength and your resilience over time? And I think that's where talking to people really helps, especially for me. When, when, I, when I'm feeling overwhelmed, when I'm feeling like I've got too much, I'm I'm trying to teach myself to reach out to a friend, phone a friend and say, listen, everything feels like it's falling apart right now. My whole life feels like, feel like it's crumbling. And then the friend can be more objective and say, okay, hold on, but what about these four things that have gone really well this yeah. past week? And then you realize, okay, I'm trying to lift too much. So that's the first response. The second response about the chosen family is, is again, I think it's spot on. I think that, unfortunately, in this in this life and in this human experience, families can cause a lot of pain. Right? Families are not always hunky dory. The, the movies certainly lied to us in that department. And families are not always on board with who you are and, and who you're trying to be. And and it's it's not. By any fault of them, it's it's the way they were brought up, or it's the, the battles they've gone through the, in their life, and and sometimes you do need to kind of step away from that and look for like-minded people who understand who you are. Uh, one of the one of the biggest um, journeys that a human goes on is trying to find people and a partner and and just surround themselves people who understand them. That's all we want at the end of the day as humans. We want someone to get us right. We want someone to understand who we are, what makes us tick. Sometimes just unfortunately doesn't happen in in the home that you're brought up in. But the internet, the way the communities are built these days, the gay community is an amazing example of this. The way they stand up for each other because they can relate to one another and they know what they're going through is absolutely amazing. And so if you're in a difficult situation, and I know a lot of us are, like from a family perspective, can you find other people who understand who you are? I promise you they're out there. And if you find that family and you choose them as your family, you can really turn your life around and it's it's not about kind of shutting your, your real family out it's not about cutting people out of your life it's more about choosing to spend time with people who inspire you and who kind of understand you mm. and if you get that right that's the recipe for a life well lived um and so i know i've been rambling a bit but but no, that's no. how i feel about that like a chosen family is so so important and it's a it's a, it's a light at the end of the tunnel for someone who's whose real family just doesn't doesn't get them yeah. I know that's that's true for a lot of people.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there's, like I said, I think there's an element of you that your family doesn't get. I mean, me being in front of this camera feels strange for a lot of people. Um, you know, there's a lot of my friends who 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 just don't, just don't get it. Why, why would you want to put yourself in front of the the camera and, and talk about stuff you? you claim to know about um, but, but ultimately it's it's a matter of finding the people who who see the world in the way that you do in whatever little thing it is that you're trying to make a difference in so um, I agree I think everyone is going to find some sort of relevance in that and I think a lot of people have already got their own chosen families elected families call it whatever you want um, I, I love the concept so uh, yeah I'm like I said I, I recommend what, reading the book not having read it uh, but I'm going to read it and uh, hopefully we can, we can come back and, and then chat about it afterwards. So Barry, I think that is us. Uh, we have gone over the time again. We sort of an hour, 12 <laughs> minutes, somewhere around there. Uh, but yeah, I've, I've enjoyed this live stream platform again. And we've had more and more listeners come through. Uh, and yeah, enjoying it. Yeah, thank you, Chad. It's been a
0: really, really enjoyable experience. Um, thank you to all of us who joined live. I mean, we, we've seen the numbers going up. We've seen people from all around the world. Yeah. So we're really appreciative of everyone who's joined live. And if you're listening to this after the fact, we love you too. Don't you worry. We love you as part of the Across the Pond family. And I just want to take one last opportunity on behalf of everyone from Across the Pond to wish Chad the most amazing birthday. Dude, I hope you have the most incredible year up ahead and are looking forward to more and more Across the Pond as we go forward.
1: Thank you so much. Really am feeling very special today. So thank you, everyone, for your wishes. Uh, Certainly, I certainly, certainly did appreciate all of those. As always, thank you for tuning in. If you are tuned in live or watching this afterwards, listening to us, we are on YouTube at Across the Pond Podcast. Sorry, Across the Pond Podcast. We're on Twitter (laughs) at Across the across underscore podcast on instagram at across the pond and of course on facebook across the pond podcast that was a bit of a mouthful uh, but i got there in the end <laughs> thank you so much for tuning in we'll see you again next week
0: pond, pond, pond,